Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Welcome. We're going to be in in, uh, the book of Psalms this morning. So if you're new to church, new to your Bible, or new to your way around the Bible, just do this. Grab one of the Bibles around the room. Uh, There's some black Bibles placed around the room. And open it to the middle, and you'll find a big book called Psalms, or the Psalms. And uh, if if you open there, it's going to be right in the middle. We're going to be in the 16th Psalm today. For those of you guys that were here last week, just an update. I, <clears throat> my face is doing better. I tried a backflip. I did not make it. wasn't even close. Those of you guys that remember that. So, uh, face is doing better. Body's feeling better. So I'm thankful for that. And uh, I actually did a little bit of research on uh, why backflips are harder on gymnastics mats, and uh, found out that there's an inadequate amount of research on why gym, uh, backflips are harder on gymnastics mats. But I did find out that front flips are actually harder. And most videos say you should not try these at home. So, all that to say, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm healing up, I'm feeling better, thankfully by God's grace. So, no more backflips for me. I've been lectured by all the women in my life. <laughs> and all of them are here today. So, yeah, mom included. So, all right, Psalm 16 is where we're going to be at today. And our main point is going to be this, joy is found in Jesus. So, Pretty simple, joyous found in Jesus. So over the past few weeks, we've looked at Emmanuel, and we've looked at how uh, Emmanuel means God with us. So that's what the word Emmanuel means, God with us. And, and we've seen that uh, the, the first candle that we lit was a candle of faith, that we can have faith that God is always with us, as he's promised. The second candle was the candle of peace, that Emmanuel's presence gives us peace in our lives. So it's not the absence of conflict in our lives that actually gives us peace, it's the presence of God in our lives that gives us peace. And then we looked at hope. Again, it's not, the, it's not our circumstances in life that our hope is connected to. It's actually the presence of God in our lives uh, that we find our hope in. And this week, what we're going to look at is joy. But what we see throughout the Bible, starting in the beginning and all the way through the end, is that God desires to be with his creation. God desires to be present with him. God desires to be with, with humanity. We see that in the garden. We see that in a temple that, uh, that he tells man how to build and create so he can dwell there. And we see that, that, that God wants to be with man, so much so that God is not like any other God of any other religion where you work your way to him or you build a tower to get high and try and reach into the heavens and, and, and work your way to God. Instead, what we have with the God of Christianity is a God who stepped down, who, who stepped away from his throne, who stepped, uh, stepped away from his crown and stepped into his own creation to rescue us and ultimately his rescue was to rescue us from ourselves every christmas every advent every year we have this reminder that the messiah came that jesus came to rescue us and to rescue us ultimately from ourselves so what exactly does that mean we're going to look at that today and i'm going to say that that joy is found in jesus it's not a byproduct of jesus it's not jesus plus something else that gives us joy we're going to say even in hardships even in grief even in losses even in sadness. And for some of us, this is the first Christmas we've experienced without a loved one. For some of us, this is the first Christmas we've experienced in an empty home. For some of us, this is uh, a, a, a time that brings back maybe pain and hard memories. But we're going to say that in the midst of all that, the joy is found in Jesus. Again, 
Not Jesus plus something else. Not anything Jesus can give us. Jesus in and of Himself is where our joy is found. And we see that He rescues us from ourselves. So, where is joy found? We believe it's found in Jesus. We're going to look through here and we're actually going to do an acrostic working through verses 1 through 11 in Psalm 16. And so, um, I'm going to read through all of it. We're going to pray and then we'll dive in. So, Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and this season. I know that in the midst of a Christmas season, even as Dana said, it can be uh, somewhat crazy and can feel crazy and it can feel heavy and even heavy to our souls. It can feel hurried. It can feel rushed. And so we're praying this morning that through your spirit and through your grace, you would intentionally help us to slow down, to listen, to be present, and to enjoy. Father, with uh, um, l- just limited time on earth and, and a limited amount of Christmases, I pray that, that, uh, that we rejoice in the gift of, of getting to be here with, uh, with those that are here today, um, that we get to hear your word but that we also have the greatest gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And so speak to us through your spirit today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verses 1 and 2 we're going to look at is this, is just admit. So it's going to be a J. So verses 1 and 2, we're going to have a J, which stands for just admit. And what it is, is we have the psalmist who is uh, David saying this, I say to the Lord, or he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. What he is recognizing is this, is that he needs to be preserved. He needs to be rescued. And he's understanding that apart from God, he has no good. And so he needs the Lord's goodness. He needs the Lord's righteousness. He, le- he needs the Lord's perfection. And so the, the, the first thing about the gospel is this. We say the gospel means good news. That's, that's what the word gospel means. It means good news, good tidings, good message. But in order for us to understand why it's good news, we have to first understand there's bad news. And we have to be willing to admit and just admit that we are not that good and that we have no goodness apart from Jesus Christ. Romans 3 says that there is no one who, uh, who does good, no, not anyone. And here what we have is David declaring and asking and pleading for God to preserve him. Preserve him from what? What do we need to be preserved from? Honestly, we need to be preserved from our greed and from our selfishness, from our self-righteousness. We need to be preserved from our pursuit of pleasure, the excitements of the world, our ingratitude, our complaining, our endless pursuit of more and more and more and never getting enough. We need to be preserved from the way that we try to guard an image even when we come to church. We need to be preserved, and the only preservation that we can find is in the goodness that the Lord 
has and that he offers and that he gives and we have to be willing to admit which is what the christmas message is is that we can't save ourselves through our good works and our best efforts it does not work like that so the message of christianity is actually just starting out by just admitting that we are broken and helpless to save ourselves that we need the goodness and the righteousness of jesus christ to step in and save us so the the good news starts with bad news But it's actually good news in the end that leads to joy. What actually gives us joy is just admitting that we are broken. And there's something freeing in that. There's joy in just admitting and confessing that we need Jesus to rescue us. And here's the thing. For the Christians in the room, we we come in on Sunday and we celebrate Christmas, which is all about Christ, which is all about His rescue. But though we can live our lives daily as, as, as if we don't need grace, which is really interesting. Christmas is yay Jesus, yay Christmas, yay grace, but in all reality, we can live our lives as though we don't need it. How do we do that? We minimize sin. We say, oh, no, 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 not that. That's just my personality. That's just how my personality comes out. Or we, we activate our inner lawyer. As soon as someone brings something to us, we instantly turn it around on them and how they are not perceiving the situation correctly. There's something actually wrong with them. There's not something wrong with us. Each time we do that, what we do is we declare that instead of needing a, a, a Messiah, we can be our own Messiah, we can be our own Savior, and that we can rescue ourselves. And so we say, yay, grace. We celebrate grace. What is grace? It is God's gift that we do not earn and that we do not merit. That is the only way you become a Christian is by recognizing you're utterly helpless, cannot save yourself, you need the grace of God. But then what we do is we act as though we can save ourselves. We can wear a mask. We can activate our inner warrior. We can minimize sin. So there's joy in just admitting that we're helpless. You know where joy is not found? Costco or Trader Joe's right now. I can guarantee you that. I was there yesterday. There is, <laughs> there is no joy in Costco right now, and there's no joy in Trader Joe's right now. Yesterday I was at Costco, and it was raining all day yesterday. I don't have to tell you guys that. And so I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go pick my family up, and I'm going to park over where it says no parking. Uh, but they can get in, we can load up our groceries. That's, that's, that's an, I think that's a nice thing to do. It's a godly thing to do, all right? I wouldn't go so far to say that. I'd say it's a nice thing to do. How about that? And while I'm trying to help my wife and kids get in the car, a couple curmudgeons uh, walk by and they're like, even though it says no parking, so I, I said thank you and have a Merry Christmas. And, a, and I was snarky. And when I got back in my car, my daughter's like, what? She's like, what did you say? And wh- why did you say that? And I was like, oh my gosh, the, it's just now building. So I was like, you know what, Joey? What dad did was wrong. They, they frustrated me. They annoyed me. And so I responded back in a way that I shouldn't have responded and just said that. And then we were at Trader Joe's and there's no parking spot there. And so you guys know that. And so there's one that has an M for it, which is for motorcycles. So I parked there. And I, have a def- I was like, if someone asks, I'm just going to be like, I thought it stood for motor vehicle, so, which I'm driving one. But you go into these places, and, and, and you park in these spots, and we already have a defense lined up for ourselves. Like someone was clearly calling me out. I was in the wrong. It says no parking. What do I do? Something wrong with them. Right? At Trader Joe's, if someone said something to me about how I was parked and how clearly your vehicle was sticking out a mile further than where it should be, I would have a defense for them about what it's like to have kids and a family and they wouldn't understand and stuff like that, right? So we, 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 we present these defense mechanisms. 
instead of just admitting you're right. There's not always something wrong with the world. It's not every other other driver. We've never noticed that. Every other driver sucks, and we are awesome. It's not always that. Actually, the problem is is that we are all helpless. We are all broken, and, and there's freedom, and there's joy in just admitting that. And that's how David starts off in the psalm. He says, preserve me, O God. I need preservation from myself. He doesn't say preserve the world. He says preserve me. He goes, I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He recognizes that his goodness when compared to God is not goodness at all. We stack our goodness up against our neighbor like Clark Griswold. We're we're not as bad as Cousin Eddie and we're not as bad as the boss. We're just hardworking chaps, maybe blue collar that are trying to get by in the world that are pretty good people. And that's how we see ourselves. But the reality is Scripture puts us up next to a perfect and holy God. And when we are next to Him, we say, we're helpless. We can't save ourselves. We have to be preserved. We have to have goodness that comes from God. And that's where it starts off. Our joy starts with just admitting. Verses 3 and 4. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So the next letter is embrace. There is joy found in embracing. What, it, what, it's, what is going on here is that David is drawn to the excellent ones. He is drawn to people of noble character. He is drawn to people of godly character. He even goes to say, they are the ones in whom is all my delight. Saint actually means, or saints means holy ones. So David is saying that, that, that he embraces those of godly character. That he embraces those that are called saints, the holy ones in the land. And by no means is, is David advocating for that we shouldn't befriend the non-Christians. He's just saying there is this wonderful and beautiful thing through embracing the friendships that God gives us in the context of the Christian community to be able to call someone in the middle of the night when you're struggling with anxiety or depression and just say, can you pray with me? Do we delight in people or do we criticize people? It's a good question. Because there's not joy found in being hypercritical of people all the time. There's actually great joy in founding, are found in embracing the relationships and the friendships and the community that God provides and gives for us. But what else do we embrace? It says here that there's much sorrow or that the sorrows increase of those who um, run after another God. What does this mean? What does David mean by this? The sorrows multiplying traces back to uh, Genesis 3. And whenever Adam and Eve uh, rebel against God, he, he, he tells the woman that, that your, your sorrows there will multiply. And, and he says it again here, that when we run after these little gods, that our sorrows are going to multiply. Why is that? Why would he say that? Because the reality is this, is that when we embrace little gods, and, and we put our hope in little gods, and what that would mean is this, is the things that we give our worship to, that we ascribe our worth to, that we put all of our trust and, and, and our hope into, if they are a little God that can be wiped out in a moment like that, embracing something like that will not lead to joy because it can be removed or taken away in an instant. There is great joy in embracing a God who is immovable, who is unshakable, who is immutable, who is omniscient, meaning all-knowing, all-powerful, unwavering, always with us, Embracing that God actually gives joy and gives hope. The reality is, is the little gods that we embrace are, 
a better career, a degree, a promotion, more money, you name it. But here's the reality. Is whatever little God that you're uh, pursuing right now are attaching your joy to, what sort of joy is that little God able to provide when you receive the news at a hospital that you have four weeks left to live? At that point, we realize what our little gods are that we find joy. No one cares about the car they get into at that moment. No one cares what kind of car they're driving home from the hospital after receiving news like that. The first time you come home and experience an empty house from losing a loved one, no one cares about what sort of TV you have, what sort of home projects you have going on. You realize that embracing these little gods, they're actually quite meaningless. And the only God that provides a sort of joy for you, even in life's hardest circumstances, is the God of the Bible who is immovable and unshakable. believe that we see this in the psalm, I'm sorry, in the hymn written by Charles Wesley. He says, Thou hidden source of calm rest, Thou all-sufficient love divine, My help and refuge from my foes, Secure I am if Thou art mine. And lo, from sin and grief and shame, I hide me, Jesus, in Thy name. Thy mighty name salvation is and keeps my happy soul above. Comfort it brings and power and peace and joy and everlasting love. To me with thy dear name are given pardon and holiness in heaven. Jesus, my all and all thou art. My rest and toil, my ease and pain, the medicine of my broken heart, in war my peace and loss my gain. My smile beneath the tyrant's frown, in shame my glory and my crown, in want my plentiful supply. In weakness my almighty power and bonds my perfect liberty. In light in Satan's darkest hour, in grief my joy unspeakable, my life and death, my heaven and hell. What are we embracing? And is what we are embracing big enough to be secure enough to hold us in this life whenever we face turmoil and hardships and grief and loss? That's why David says in this, I'm not going to put my hope in these sort of gods, these little gods. Verse 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So first we have just admit. That's a J. Then we have an E for embrace. And now we have stock and share for an S. So stock and share. Not stocks and shares. Not a financial guy. I honestly don't know the difference between the two. But I know this. That what the psalmist is saying and what David is saying, that ultimately that Christ is his ultimate stock and his ultimate share, his ultimate inheritance. You have to know this. David says, I have a beautiful inheritance. He was the youngest of all brothers. And anyone that knows anything about the, uh, the Bible or the law of primogeniture is this, is that actually the person who has the inheritance, who, who has the rights, is the older brother. The younger brother and the youngest sibling doesn't get anything unless the oldest deems him that he might have something. So David says... The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have this beautiful inheritance. What is David's beautiful inheritance? What is his stock? What is his share? Where is he putting all of his trust and, and, and all of his hope? In the Lord. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Notice he doesn't say the Lord's blessings. 
Notice he doesn't say the, uh, anything that the Lord can give to him, anything that the Lord can provide for him, anything that the Lord can do for him. That's a good lit- uh, litmus test for us is where is our greatest hope? Where is our stock? Where is our share? What is our greatest satisfaction in this life? Is it in the Lord? Is it in Jesus? Or is it something other blessing that He can give for us? The blessings of the Lord are good. They're just not the Lord Himself. This is what God said to Abraham. He said, I am your shield and what? Your very great reward. The reward wasn't getting something else from God. The reward wasn't getting uh, deliverance or healing or something else. The reward was God Himself. The reward is Jesus Himself. The greatest stock and share that that, that, that David had was the inheritance. We are born with our family's name. When we get married, traditionally, the bride takes on the groom's last name. What, what is happening here is he's saying, I have this new inheritance. My inheritance in Christ, my inheritance from God, is a child. My inheritance from God is that Christ becomes my groom. So we have this stock and the share that David is talking about. We have a name change. A Jesus plus nothing theology. So if it's Jesus plus something in our lives that leads to joy, then Jesus will never be enough. But for David, he says, no, no, no. My chosen portion in my cup is Christ. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have this beautiful inheritance. Verse 7 and 8. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Understanding gives us joy. The you here is understanding. So we have just admit there's freedom and there's joy in just admitting. Embrace the God of the Bible. Embrace the big God who's able to hold us. We understand that, 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 uh, that God and that Christ is our stock and our share for the S. That He is our satisfaction. He is our cup. The greatest reward Himself. And now we have a you. There's joy and understanding. I want to say this. That I am pro-counseling and I am pro-marriage counseling and our, my, my wife and I do counseling. I am I'm for it. But I, I, I believe that oftentimes many of the problems and many of the things that we face in life and even in our marriages and in our relationships could be fixed through the counsel of God's Word and through an understanding of what God's Word teaches. And oftentimes we will run to an Enneagram to figure out what's going on with us and, or some sort of personality test. And I am also pro-Enneagram. I'm, I'm, I'm not against the Enneagram. I'm just saying the Enneagram cannot take the place from the Word of God. The king of the universe has spoken. We have his word at our fingertips, and oftentimes we run to other things to gain understanding of how life should work best, yet he wrote us a book to tell us all about it and how our greatest joy is found in him. The counsel of God is the word of God. It's this tremendous gift that he gives that we can have understanding. There is, our, our mind is daily shaped by voices. Oftentimes our own voices and the voices of, of, of other people. What needs to be shaping our minds, our conscious and our subconscious, what needs to be per, uh, permeating into the depths of our hearts and souls into every nook and cranny is what God has to say. What he has to say about himself and what he has to say about us and who we are in light of Christ and what Christ has done. And the reality is, is we will know what God has to say about us whenever we face dark times in life. That's what night means here. We see here that uh, David says, I bless the Lord in seven who gives me counsel. His word is David's counsel. In the night, 
physical night, yes, but in the dark seasons of life, he's saying my heart instructs me. Since the Lord's Word, since the Word of God has given me counsel, my heart is able to instruct me in the dark seasons of life. Zacchaeus Swine says this, Scripture enables us to hear what God's voice sounds like amid the torrent of competing voices that thrash the boarded up windows of our minds. We hear a strong and tender voice of love, presence, purpose, and truth for us in Jesus. We lean by faith upon those promised words of the heavenly and tender Father, as Jesus did when the ancient devil tempted him in the wilderness. While the hissing serpent whispered thoughts unto him, the Savior responded, it is written. Understanding. Understanding, even as Jesus says in, in, in John 15, he says, uh, these things I have commanded you. Why? So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. When we have to have an understanding that God's Word and God's law is not bad. It's not meant to uh, suck joy from our lives. He actually wrote the commands that He gave to give more joy to our lives. And here's the thing. Christianity is different because Jesus said, hey, these are the commands. I know you can't meet them and I know you can't fulfill them and I know you can't obey them. So I'm going to come to earth and obey those commands, meet those commands, and fulfill those commands for you. And so now your trust and hope is not in your inability to obey them, but in my obeying them. But now I'm telling you, life is best lived. You will have most joy by obeying the words of my counsel. That's why Joshua says, or it's why it says in Joshua 1, that those that meditate on the word day and night, their ways will be prosperous. When we let the word of God penetrate and soak into our hearts and souls and have understanding on what his word says about him and about us, it is a good thing. Verse 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. We're going to come back to verse 8 in just a minute the right-hand comment. But for here in 9 and 10, the S is security. If you guys haven't figured it out, it spells Jesus. Just admit, there's joy in that. There's joy in embracing a God who's bigger than the little gods that we make our gods in life. uh, Jesus is our stock and share, not anything He can do for us. He Himself is our great reward. There's joy in understanding the Word of God and the counsel of God's Word, but there's also security in Christ. Have you ever met a person who is really joyous and really insecure? They just don't go together. Why would David put this here? Why would he say this? That my my flesh also dwells secure? Because in verse 9 it says, Therefore my heart is glad, which actually uh, a word translated there could be joy. Therefore my heart is joyous. And my whole being, another word could be translated for rejoices, is joy again. So it's joy and joy. And then he says, my flesh, my, my flesh also dwells secure. Christ offers a security. There's something beautiful about the security of Christ. And for some people in the room, that word speaks loud to them that in Christ we are held secure. But the reality is is that everyone in this room will face death one day. And we are one step closer to death every single day. And what we have hope in is that our souls will not be abandoned even unto the grave. The word Sheol means grave. That we can be secure that Christ Emmanuel will be with us. 
that we can understand that He's been our stock and our share in this life. And the only thing death is for those that are in Christ is a stepping stone into our new address that we hold with Him our beautiful inheritance for eternity. That's what R.C. Sproul said. Don't mourn for me, but rejoice. I've just changed my address. And now He enjoys the glory of His Creator for all eternity. We have a security that, that Christ is with us every day. We have a security that He is our right hand. We have a security for whatever lot comes our way in life, uh, in life as uh, David said back in, in verse 5. And, and wherever the line falls for us, if, if our lot is death, if our lot is loss, if our lot is grief, if our lot is hard circumstances in life, we have a security that Christ is holding us and He is holding everything that we are going through and that He is with us. My wife was trying to figure out why our oldest daughter, Joey, feels safe with me. And why whenever uh, we leave, uh, she, she can struggle. And, and so, man, I hope that one day, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, because like, if one day she listens to these on recording. When, whenever, whenever I leave, she can start having just uh, emotional struggles. And, and so I don't know how else to say it, but, but she, she will start uh, um, uh, uh, peeing her pants and, and doing that sort of stuff. And so we've tried to figure out, like, what is going on? She cries. She struggles. She has a really hard time at night. She'll actually find sweatshirts or T-shirts of mine, and she'll hold them at night to help herself fall asleep. My wife is like, what's going on? And, 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 and we figured out that, that uh, this week that there's a boy who's, who's in her kindergarten class, and he's actually leaving. And so she started to do the same thing this week. And we're like, what is going on? emotionally what is going on with her she's doing the same thing and she came to my wife and said hey mom do you know how dad makes me feel safe whenever he's around this little boy Landon is his name he also makes me feel that way at school the way that Joey would describe it is when her dad is at her right hand she doesn't feel like anything could shake her she feels safe she feels secure she feels held She feels secure. And what the psalmist says here is that at our right hand is the Lord. He is at our right hand. I shall not be shaken. Verse 8. And notice that it says it again in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What does right hand mean? Well, in, in the Jewish court system, the person that stood at your right hand will, would actually be your accuser. So that wouldn't be a good thing. But David is saying here that there is, there is someone at his right hand that is going to make him unshakable. Uh, someone at your right hand could also be a companion in life. And so what's going on here is that David is recognizing, David is declaring, David is saying that at my right hand is no longer an accuser. At my right hand is not someone who, who accuses me. At my right hand is an advocate for me and is a companion in life who stays beside me, who never leaves me, who never forsakes me. But actually, if you go later, and you can read this, read Acts 2, 24-31, and you'll actually see that David's greatest comfort is this. It's actually in the Gospel that this entire psalm is actually about Jesus. And those aren't my words. Read it for yourself in Acts 2, 24-32. 
Peter's actually saying that these words, that what, 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 what their hope was and what they were pointing to and what these words point to is there is one person who never saw corruption as we see in verse 10. That person was Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin Mary. So when he came, he didn't have sin. He wasn't dwelt with the sin nature. He was born of the Spirit. He never sinned. He never rebelled against God. He never did anything bad, impure. He was innocent in every sort of way. And then here's the thing. When he went to the cross, the reason he was there is he was making payment for our sins and for our debt that we've accrued against a holy God. And what he did on the cross is he made the payment in full. So he wrote a check and the check said payment in full, but the resurrection proved that the check that he wrote was good enough and able enough to provide for everything that we've ever done and in, in every way we've rebelled against God. And through him and through his life and through his death and through his re- resurrection, the psalmist goes on to say, everything that we need to have fullness of joy and to have pleasures forevermore is now found not in anything else other than Jesus Christ. What is joy connected to? Joy is a gift found in Jesus. Joy is connected to a person. Joy is found in Jesus. Joy is not found in any other thing other than the person of Jesus Christ. Can you find joy in other things in life? Yes, but you cannot find fullness of joy in anything else other than Jesus Christ. You can fill a cup half full, but in order to have your cup filled full, that comes through a relationship that Jesus Christ provides with himself and reconciles you to the Father. God for Christmas gave his greatest gift, Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his greatest gift by reconciling us to the Father. And together they gave their greatest gift in indwelling us with the Holy Spirit so at all times God is with us. Jesus is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. The, the, the joy that we have in Jesus is a joy that comes through God's infinite love for us. That comes from God saying that I will be with you. I will hold you. I will never forsake you. Jesus is all these things. We can just admit that we are broken with Jesus because he provides the security for us to do that. We can embrace God, but we can know that we are embraced by God. Jesus is our stock and our share, our inheritance, but we realize that we become God's inheritance as well. We have understanding of, what Christ, of who Christ is and what he did and what he secured for us. And again, Jesus gives us that security. If we're lacking joy in our lives, maybe it's because we're finding joy in something else other than Jesus. And this Christmas season, what we can do is just simply pray, Jesus, I've sought joy in everything else. And it's not there in my life. I'm praying that you would be the source, the full source of my joy. I'm going to read this hymn as we close. I pray this would minister to people that are going through a hard time right now and understanding exactly how it is that Jesus gives comfort and pain. Because the reality is we should have joy at Trader Joe's or Costco or whatever we're going through in life. Because our joy is not connected to our situation or circumstance. Our joy is connected to a person who's connected himself to us for eternity. Listen to this uh, old hymn. It's from the 1800s by a man named uh, Frederick Charles Maker. My God, I thank thee who has made the earth so bright, so full of splendor and of joy, beauty and light. So many glorious things are here, noble and right. I thank thee, Lord, that thou hast made joy to abound made so many gentle thoughts and deeds circling us round. That in the darkest spot of earth some love is found. Here's where it gets good. I thank thee too that all our joy is touched with pain. That shadows fall on brightest hours. That thorns remain. So that earth's bliss may be our guide and our chain. I thank thee, Lord, that here our souls Thou amply blessed can never find, although they seek, a perfect rest. 
nor ever shall until they lean, here it is, on Jesus' breast. For us to find joy and true joy in life, the fullness of it, it is found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, which is why he, the last candle is the Jesus candle. It's the center where we find faith and joy and peace and hope in life is in Christ. And so today, I invite the worship team out, but we light the candle of Christ. Symbolizing that in Christmas, He is the one that gives us our greatest joy. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your greatest gift, Your Son. Thank You for life, and not just life here, but life eternally. Thank You that we can find joy in the midst of pain and circumstances and hardships in life. Thank You, Father, that You are good, and You care for us, and that, yes, Everything in life oftentimes is touched by pain, but the reality is is we have joy in Jesus. Amen.